It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Cole Born Bergstrom. Welcome into the 3304 Sports Podcast here on a Monday. Uh, Dan Steinbeck, Cole Born Bergstrom, you guys know the drill. It's Monday, so we're talking college football. That means we have to talk Saturday night. Um, as you can tell by my voice, I am dead tired. Uh, not just from lack of sleep, but just from having to think about doing this episode. Uh, all right, Goldburn, I want to welcome you in. How are you doing today? How was your weekend? Uh, well, I had the positivity of uh, my folks coming out for the weekend, so that was nice. Uh, the rest of it, eh, not so much. Okay, here you know, you know what? I want, I want to start here then. Uh, I had a very fun week. Got uh, some people came in. Uh, got to meet a lot of people that I've, you know not been able to meet in person yet uh had a really fun time over this weekend you know obviously thinking about saturday night I, i've seen some people say that games like that losses like that kind of make the weekend not seem worth it i think it's i think it was still worth it i definitely still had a blast i'm not gonna forget that um oh yeah but this is where well, i'm gonna I come in this is where i'm gonna come in with my first game. pseudo topic of the day my first yeah. pseudo topic of the day is this i'm going to defend the noon kickoff because you know, whatever you do in preparation for game day, that's your business. That's whatever you want to do. You know, see, having all these people come in, you know, I was, I was with them all day. Uh, so basically did not watch any college, did not watch any college football up until the game. I, that, that to me is a um, lost opportunity because I would have liked to have seen Michigan State Cream Rutgers. I would have liked to have watched most of Penn State, Iowa. Uh, you know, that's where I'm the fan of noon kickoff. You know, you get out of the game around four, you can have the rest of the day to enjoy college football. You can still do your pregame stuff, whether you're tailgating, whether you're just hanging out. Uh, and then you have the rest of the day to watch whatever and try to have some enjoyment. This game, I mean, you're there at 730. The game takes you. You're not home until after midnight. Uh, basically, you're just waiting the whole day for it to happen. And then it happens. And then obviously the results of disappointment. Uh, but just the, the whole lead up. So I'm going to defend the new kickoff. I'm going to defend the fact that I am very excited for the fact that the Syracuse game is going to be at 1230. Um, Cause that means that I'll, I'll have the rest of the day to do stuff and, you know, be able to watch other games and kind of recover from any pregame, pregame activities that come with waking <laughs> up early. Um, sure. So, yeah, I, I mean, are you like one of those people that's anti noon kickoff? Um, no, I mean, only thing is one kickoff or like some kickoff times I have to put on sunscreen and others I don't. And I've, I've literally <laughs> forgotten about sunscreen because of how little, like we've really been able to do stuff over the past 18, you know, over right. 18 months now. So it'd be like what, 20 months now, but still like the, the, the fact that like, you know, it's been that long. So I, I, don't, I don't really care as long as I get to watch football. Yeah. And, that, and that's my thing. Like, Yes, there is still plenty of opportunity for a night kick for you to watch games before you go to kickoff. But just in this instance, I was with these people pretty much all day and we were bouncing around places. So, you know, there wasn't much opportunity to sit down and watch games, basically just track them on your phone. Uh, So I missed that aspect of it, but overall still a fun time. Basically what we're doing here is we're delaying the inevitable conversation about Saturday night. Um, (laughs) And look, Uh, here's where I am on this. I mean, as you can tell by t- my tone of voice, I well, what, what can I say at this point? But, oh, man, 
today is a day where coming off of a weekend, this is the type of show format, whatever, where either I'm listening to the radio or I'm listening to a podcast. And I want, like, this is a vent environment. This is a venting environment. You know, weekend after a tough loss, you come in, you look for some solace in the fan base and, you know, the talking heads or whatever. And you just use this platform to basically vent your frustrations. I can't do that today. And it's not that the loss wasn't infuriating or it's not that the loss didn't have many things about it that were very, very frustrating. It's just, I'm tired. <laughs> like, here's, here's where we are in the season. Three and two after the Notre Dame game. I, told, I was saying all throughout the preseason and after the UNC game, get me through Notre Dame and we'll talk about where the season can go. And right now, yeah. I, thought, I thought Virginia Tech was going to be three and two after five games. I thought those losses were going to come to UNC and to Notre Dame. You know, just flip the UNC and West Virginia games, and there's your same record. Through those five games, you have played what I believe is a very unimpressive schedule. UNC, not great. West Virginia, not great. Notre Dame, don't, don't go to ESPN right now and look at what I'm looking at and see the 14 in front of their name. That doesn't matter. The they didn't I went up from beating us. Just realize that. What was that? They didn't move up from beating us. Just realize no. that. They were 14 when they played. Yes. And they're 14 right now, right? <clears throat> yep. Okay. So they're, four, they're still 14. I, would, I went through the other 11 teams that are behind them in the rankings right now. I think all of them beat Notre Dame. I really do. I don't think that this was a tough schedule at all. Uh, now, am I going to come out here and say, oh, you should be, you know, 5-0? It's like, I, I came into the season with the expectation this is a six-win football team. So... I'm not going to, you know, come out and be all high and, high and mighty about it. Look, we're going to get into the game and we're going to break down things. We're going to break down players. We're going to break down decisions. But I like, in, in college football, I like to do this. I like to view games as more of a, what's the word I'm looking for here? More of a, I, want, I like to think of the results in a thematic sense. You know, in this game, I don't want our podcast to end up getting repetitive. But when we do the same format we do every week and we kind of have to bring up the same talking points because the same stuff keeps happening, it does it, – it, that's where the danger of us sure, sounding repetitive sure. is. Because sure. the theme of this game, if we're going to bring up the stats, it's all, it, it's all about the coaching staff. And we're going to talk about those in-game decisions, but just look at the overall theme. Here, let me, let me pull up this number just so I'm not flipping like a two and a three around. Here we go. Justin Fuente's record in – a in games where beforehand the spread is three points or less. He's two and 13 outright. It's a horrible winning percentage. And going back to 2018 now, when you have an open week, when you have a bye week where everyone expects you to be coming out, you know, with a really solid game plan, you're healthier, you're well-rested than the other team who just got beat up last week by a really good Cincinnati team. They're expecting you to come out and put up a good fight. And they did. But the 0-6 since 2018, that, that's another theme that's adding to the results that we've seen before. So thematically this loss just it just kind of fits in with what the preseason expectations were yep so you know where am i now because that's you know that that's where i've been saying hey get through notre dame get into that game get right before conference play i'll tell you where i think this team goes after unc i was leaning more towards eight wins but guys you got to know something about me 
six wins versus eight wins in college football to me is not a difference at all. That two win gap is not different, especially not in year six of a coaching staff. Like, what am I look? What what am I looking at here? I'm looking at an offense, and, and here's the thing too, guys. I I can't complain about. I can't find specific things to complain about the offense about. Now I will say like the rushing game was putrid. The rushing attack for this team this year has been awful. And mm-hmm. saw it again on Saturday. They just could not move the ball. I mean, at this point it's obvious. Raheem Blackshear is running back number one. They came into this year with this whole, Oh, we have three running backs at the top of the depth chart. And, you know, we, we talked with Carter Hill about it. He thinks there's only two at the top. I think there's one. Now, whether or not Raheem Blackshear is yep. a three is a three down running back. I'm not sure about that. But he should, without a doubt, be the number one guy. He's the most effective runner, even though he's not this explosive, explosive runner. His ability out of the backfield alone puts him ahead above everyone else in the backfield right now. So if you want me to find complete negatives from this game in particular, yes, the running game was bad again. Uh, Braxton Nordmeister, yeah, he was hurt. But again, I don't know how mad I can be when going into the season, like we were talking about it. He's an average, he's an average college football quarterback. He's not dynamic enough to like, yes, he had a really nice run. That is what his game should be focused on, but he's not putting really enough to do that. And his ability at throwing the ball is not great. It's really, it really isn't. So even though he had that nice throw and I know we're probably going to mention it where it was the drop pass on second down that could have, you know, extended the drive to win the game, to win them the game. That was a really nice throw. That's like the best downfield throw he's had all season. But yep. Overall, you know, you look at his game, his game isn't, his game isn't great. So offensively, I like that they did get the ball to their receivers. Hey, what do you know? Getting the ball to your two best receivers who are the best players on your team talent-wise, it helps move the football. Who knew? Um, so it's crazy. I, I know, right? It's crazy. It's almost like you've been saying it all season. I'm, t- I'm just tired because we're saying the same thing. And here's the thing. If there's one negative I'm going to take out of this game overall, this defense is getting worse and worse every week. Um, I know that looking at back, you know, look at the UNC game, defensive domination. Uh, and again, I'm not going to take that game away from them because that's obviously a big win. It's still Justin Fuente's biggest win since he's been here. Um, yeah. like, like the defense, that defense was so locked down that night. But here – the corner, their cornerbacks are still their best play, are still their best unit defensively. But this defense was giving up chunk plays late in the game, you know, over the middle, they're are making throws wide open. And this defense against the run is bad. They're 73rd in the nation. They're allowing 4.1 yards per carry. And <laughs> I, I know this might sound crazy, but I, I know we're talking about Pitt this week. You know, we're going to have Carter on. They play Syracuse and Duke who have two of the top five backs in the country this year at running the football. Sean yeah. Tucker and Mateo Durant are going to feast on this rushing defense unless something gets fixed. And I'm not saying those are, that, that means that those are losses automatically, but it makes those games way more concerning than they should be at all. Like this, this, I mean, at this point, at this point, you should not be worrying about games versus Syracuse and Duke. I would argue you shouldn't even be worried about this game against Pitt. It's year six. And yeah, look, Look at the record. Three and two. Oh, the three and two. You're some yards away from beating West Virginia and you're yards away from beating Notre Dame. You're yards away from being five and oh, guys. That's how that's how football is. It's just that that's how football is. Like the teams that are winners get those yards. And 
look, you're one or two in your three big games. And in your games against Middle Tennessee and Richmond, you did not look impressive. So where am I now with this team in terms of a final win total? Like, I can still see them getting to eight. But, I mean, Pitt this week. I think a lot of people think that's a loss. Syracuse, I'm worried about Syracuse's running attack. Georgia Tech has a dynamic thrower of the football. Uh, Boston College on the road. That's been a game that everyone has marked down. Even if they thought this was a nine-win team going into the season, a lot of people think that's a loss. Uh, Duke, Mateo Durant. Miami, probably not. They're a mess. But then, you know, UVA at the end. So you've got seven games. All of those are in toss-up territory. So win a better half, win the better half of those, you're a seven-win team. Win the less half of those, you're a six-win team. Again, maximum ceiling is probably eight wins. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know. And it hurts even more about the defense because, like, you see them getting passed on in certain points in the game and they're getting run on guys jack Cohn left the game early on this was and even still i mentioned it on friday during the picks when i was talking about this game they didn't bring in drew pine who was their sophomore guy that people thought they were going to start to make the turn to from cone after the cincy game guys they brought in this kid named buckner who's their third string and a true freshman third string qb true freshman night game lane stadium behind that's not a win that shouldn't be a win, but it was. And I, I know I bring up Lane Stadium, and you're gonna bring, and we're probably gonna mention that Lane Stadium is not a home field advantage, as everyone like likes to think about. Oh, we love to get millions of views on Enter Sandman, but overall, their record here, here we go. Uh, since 2014, Virginia Tech at home, 16 17. They're under 500 at home. I don't know what to do. We can make the earthquakes all we want, but the product on the field, fans don't win games. That's what it comes down to. Fans don't win games. It's nice to think about, but I don't know. It, and the weird thing is, too, and it's tough because every time I thought that they were going to win, they didn't. But even though going back before the season, I probably thought. So at the end of the day, my expectations just kind of go up a little bit, and then they just go right back down to the floor. I can't offer – rage i can't offer sadness i can't give you this long vent this long rant and you know if i were if we were doing a radio show right now this would be the day where i would introduce this topic i'd get your thoughts and then we would go to our live listeners and just have them call in and give their thoughts but i can't but we can't do that so here you just you guys are just stuck with us <laughs> so man I don't know. Do you, okay. Do, let me, let me just ask this then. Do you agree with the, with the thought process that overall, yes, we can dive into this game after we're done talking about it and really dive into decisions and dive into players, but overall taking this loss, the, the way to think about it really is more in the thematic sense. Um, I mean, it, it, I'm assuming that's the question. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree. I think this fits maybe less like I, I i'm pretty sure this is what you're intending maybe it's uh, i i think we're kind of agreeing on the sense of like maybe more thema- like like thematic slash narrative it's more it, <clears throat> the thing to take away from this game isn't necessarily just the fact that they lost within this season because that's the thing that i do in college football i don't really just judge coaches on 
one year, one game. The same based on like all the seasons, based on all the stats, based yeah. on everything. This just yeah. fits right no, that's, in. That's it slides I, yeah. right in perfectly with all the losses that the coaching staff has accumulated over the years. No, exactly. We're just we're just using two different words about it. This fits the narrative that the coaching staff has created during its six years here. And, and you're saying theme. So basically, yes, we, we have the we have the same thing in right. mind. I, I do agree with you. I mean then I really don't know what else to talk about. I mean, we can, do we want to dive into players? What, what direction do you want to go here when it comes to talking, to breaking down the game and why this ended up being another addition to the loss column? Um, I think there's a good bit to talk about. Um, I think there's players that we should talk about. I think there's things that should be talked about. Um, so I right, really want to start. Do you want to, do you want, do you want to try to put a positive, throw some positives out there first? Because I know that's I will, what everyone wants to do. I'm not the biggest guy on like forcing positive thoughts, but sure. I mean there aren't. There are some that I can bring up. I will say two things that I personally think are positives. My first thing is that I think Jermaine Waller is a stud, and it's just shown throughout this year. That's the first thing I want to say. He wasn't perfect against Notre Dame. I remember it was there was one drive where I think Kelvin Austin was really torching him, but he did give he up a big catch. Six. But yes, he he he's been spectacular this year. He had the pick six. He's had four interceptions throughout the season, and on top of that, uh, I think he's been good with like tackling and whatnot. I'm trying to like overall look at his stats here. Um, basically, all in all. There's there's not much else stat wise to say. It's just um, what he has a couple passes deflected as well. I guess is the only other thing that I can really mention. He's been solid um on the outside. No, he's a first team all conference corner. Yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I I I think the one the the only thing even defensively that I can say was disappointing uh before the fourth quarter was the fact that Armani Chapman also dropped a pick six. Oh yeah. And that could have, I mean, obviously that would have really swung the game in our favor. That was the, I don't remember if it was a cone drop or it was a uh, Buckner drop uh, or Buckner. Um, either either at that way. point of the game, it would have been Buckner. And again, I can't, yeah, I, 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 I think, I think it was Buckner. Um, but yeah, so that blows. But beyond that, I thought Jermaine Waller was excellent for most of the night. And I thought the defense was solid. Sure. You can say that they've kind of gone downhill, but if you go all the way into the fourth quarter, they did their job. They only gave up 21 points. So they kept Virginia Tech in the game. It's just the offense wasn't giving them enough support in return. Now, the second thing I want to mention, which is a positive for me, is though the running game has been bad throughout the season, I liked Raheem Blackshear, personally. Um, you, you said to lead this off, and I completely agree that I think Raheem is our clear-cut number one. but when you look back at that game, he was able to get uh, one of his, I think, better averages on the season, 4.4 yards a carry. Um, <clears throat> I don't think he got anywhere close to enough touches. Uh, he only had eight touches, which was technically behind Burmeister and others. Um, but the touchdown he got, let, let's keep it 100, 100 here. That shouldn't have been a touchdown. The only reason it was a touchdown was because of Blackshear's talent. That was a horrible play call. He, they ran him up the gut where they were all stacked up and Blackshear was able to power through 
break out of the out of the blockade and then get into the end zone. That was all Blackshear in the first quarter. Like that that first touchdown, all him. That wasn't yeah. to do with the play calling. That wasn't to do with really anything else. Uh, like the offensive line did all right, but still, it's like Blackshear was put in a place where he was screwed and he was able to make magic out of nothing. Yeah, it looked pretty walled off, and he was able to make a nice bounce outside. Um, no, he, he he definitely is the number one. So I don't know. I, I'll be honest. I haven't looked at – I haven't been following the depth chart, you know, week in, week out. I, but I, I'm assuming that they're still, you know, saying, oh, it's Holston, Blackshear, and King all at the top, which, I mean, just is not the case. And we see that, with, yeah. we see that with snap counts. We see that with, you know, actual production. Uh, no, yeah. So Raheem Blackshear, he, he is a bright spot. And, and here's what I'll say, too. So Raheem Blackshear, eight touches, 35 yards, and a touchdown. You want to be negative on Jalen Holston, which I can get. Do you want to know Jalen Holston's stats? Do you have him pulled up? I do. Yeah, five rushes for negative one yard. Not great. Negative one. Negative one. Like, that's that's bad. Even Keyshawn King had more yards, but still, he only averaged two yards a carry off four touches. I mean, it's once again, it's another game as a team where you're rushing for less than four yards a carry. This rushing attack is I, I, not yeah. it's not good. It's not good overall. I remember mentioning this. I think it was on the Friday podcast. I said that I thought that this could be Blackshear's breakout game. And it wasn't, but it should have been. Like, he looked good to me. I don't know if you fully agree with that, but that's my personal no, I think- My personal opinion is, is, like, if you would have given him a lot more touches, that's the game he would have broken out on. No, I agree. I, I can't disagree with that. I think he's I, – I think that there's a conception that he's not their most powerful runner, which is fine, but sure. he's definitely their most versatile guy and their most productive yeah. guy. And at this point in the season, production is what you have to go for. Uh, and I think he's been the best of the ball too, right? I'm pretty sure Holston and King have both fumbled. I don't know if Blackshear has. No, that sounds right. Look – So, to me, from this game forward, Blackshear should be your clear-cut number one. Clear-cut number one, even if he's not on the field every down. I mean, we know that he's kind of that yeah. third down back, you know, receiving type back. But he's you're also your best runner in between the tackles. Like, it's I'll, just I'll, what I'll it offer is. this. I'll offer this. Uh, we, we'll, we'll talk about fantasy on the uh, t- tomorrow episode of the pod. But someone who's been a, brought, a bright spot in fantasy has been Cordell Patterson, someone who transitioned from wide receiver to running back for Atlanta. And Arthur Smith's been doing really well with him. The one thing I'll bring up, Though this might be a no, given the fact that James Mitchell is injured, why not we? Why don't we run, run Tavion Robinson as almost like a faux running back on a third down? I feel like he'd be good enough, or Trey Turner because they love to do jet sweeps, anyways. No, they love to run, do those runs. <clears throat> That's tough because outside of your main two at wide receiver on the outside, and I know you're kind of saying like use them in a different sense, like still treat yeah. them as wide receivers like you said, a faux running back. Uh, it, I, I understand what you're going with there. I think they want them on the line. I was just curious. I ran, I, yeah, I randomly thought of it. So. No, it's not, it, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad thought, I think. Um, man, I don't know. I think it's something worth trying, but yeah. Any, anything um, worth at this point. So the first thing, like, uh, I, I have a list of things. Normally when we've had to talk about tech, because – um, to, to for y'all to understand, this is the worst I felt about the team this year. 
because if, if, if you all have been listening, like I've been pretty positive about the team. This is a negative. Like this is this is like I feel really bad about this team now. This is taking me back to some of the struggles of freshman sophomore. Um. So rather than the minimal amount of topics that we had, normally we just have like a couple things here and there. It's like oh, we'll talk about this. We'll talk about that. There's a lot. Um. And Dan's talked about some of those. Um. I don't know how much we'll give more detail to some of them, but I do want to start off with this first thing here. And I want to talk about the injury to Braxton Burmeister. Um, it's something that I, I don't quite know when he picked it up, but it has been a theme throughout the season that in all honesty, since I've been able to go to the games, I haven't noticed. But do you exactly know how long these injuries have been going on? Um, and if so, I mean, I think you have to give Blackshear a little bit of credit here for being willing to go out on. I mean, it's bad that he has to go out for this stuff, but he's putting in a still like, I, I respect his effort that he's putting out there to, for the team. I mean, you mean Bur- Burmeister, right? I think he slipped up and said Blackshear there. Yeah. I, I mean, I meant Burmeister. Maybe I saw okay. him said Blackshear. But. All right. So Burmeister's thing. I've honestly, I honestly think that I've been hearing about this since West Virginia and that means that it may have happened at some point before. Here's the overall theme here. I know I'm talking about themes a lot today. Yeah. This speaks to what the coaching staff understands about their roster that they have. And I think it can actually be, be I think this thing can also be translated in game, in the Notre Dame game. Behind Braxton Burmeister, if Burmeister misses a lot of time, this team is dead. That's basically what it is. And that's the thing too. Even though his ceiling as a quarterback might not be that high it still keeps you treading above water if he goes down the entire ship goes down and i think it's higher than some of the ones that we have behind him yeah right and it's where in the situation where you see look that two-point conversion try uh after the pick six and they pick up the false start i i guarantee you the play before the false start was a connor blumick run I guarantee you it was going to be a run two yards in two point conversion. Boom. They did not want Connor Blum throwing that ball. Uh, And it speaks, I think too, to the fact that your guy's dinged up. He's out for multiple plays. You're just trying to run the ball. You're trying to get first downs. That did not look like an offense that wanted to move the ball. It looked like an offense that wanted to clock, like eat clock up, continue picking up first downs, wait for Braxton to be cleared by the, the medical team, come back in and then start throwing the ball. They don't want yeah. Connor Blumick throwing the ball at all. And it speaks to their absolute lack of confidence in Knox Tatum, who's their backup. Knox Tatum is the one backup that they like throwing the ball, and he didn't play at all when your main thrower is out of the game. That says so much to me about the faith that staff has in their quarterback room outside of Burmeister. It was, it was astonishing. Uh, in terms of his actual injury, again, I think this has been going on for a little bit longer, at least in kind of a – not so much a keep-you-out-of-the-game sense where, like, we might not know. I'd be surprised it. if it started at MTSU. Right, but it's kind of just like that lingering thing that's bothering him, and then it finally flared up a little bit here. Yep. Uh, Fuente's saying that he, he said at his press <laughs> conference today that uh, Burmeister's going to be good to go for Pitt. I really don't know how much I buy that. Uh, I think yeah, that I, I think there's an understanding that that's a must-must-win game, and you're going to put your guy out there because I think that their faith is in is way more in a – 60 to 70 percent Burmeister than a 100 percent Knox game. That's crystal clear to me. And um, so yeah, I, that, that, that's where I am with that injury. 
And I, I think it really does speak to a larger theme on their faith in their players. And look, you know what? How, how, how about that? How about this for a transition to that too? I don't know if you're going to bring this up later, but I think we have to talk about the decision-making in the game now. And talking about lack of faith really has to be brought up here. Uh, let, 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 me pull, let me pull up what I have for a couple of questions here. All right, I, I think the number one thing has to be that third drive that ends in a field goal. Now, look, let me say this. Guys, I'm not happy that oh, I was Oh, that's right. got to be the yeah. – Yeah, I'm not happy that I was right. I came out and I said that I think this team gets up early by two scores, and they did that. They – now, their first drive was horrendous, but then they marched right down the field. Their next two drives, they get in the end zone one time, and then the next time, you're on the door – you're on the doorstep of the goal line. You're on the one-yard line. One, yeah. And you can't score – on three downs and you don't go out there for fourth down and force them to say, Hey, all right, yeah. scored on us, but we're going to do a 99 yard touchdown drive. E- even if so you that, point out the yeah. fact that this team has not been able to execute and call plays that can get them short yardage goal to go situations. I don't understand the thought process of kicking a field goal there. That, that was, the, that was something I was definitely going to bring up, but <clears throat> I, 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 I have a question for you. Yeah. Yep. So we, we just talked about this. Who was the guy that, uh, you know, just a little bit before had powered through and saved uh, that horrible play call to give us the first touchdown? Raheem Butcher? Yeah. Why the hell wasn't he running all three plays? All three. I can't. I can't explain it. I, I really that, can't explain That's it. really what gets me mad. You, you want Braxton Burmeister to scramble on the one-yard line. That's where you can have, like, you know, whatever little fancy little dinky-dink RPO you want to do. Or – you know, the, the actual sensible thing is for someone who just fought through hell to get you your first touchdown, why wouldn't you let him fight through hell to get you a second touchdown? I, I, I can't speak to personnel decisions, but, I mean, I can't say you're wrong. I mean... Yeah, I, so if I remember right, that drive went that last year had a chance, he got stuffed. And yep. then it was, like, two throws. Uh, yep. here, I mean, actually, a Blumberg throw and then a Braxton throw. <laughs> yeah, Connor throw. Uh, Braxton throw uh, the Trey Turner. He completely overthrew uh, Connor Blumrick. I don't even remember that throw to a uh, but both of those didn't work. And then we go for a John Parker Roma field goal, still one yard out in which guess what? You're one yard out from the end zone. The worst thing that happens is if you get stuffed your D line, which actually looks good throughout the first half at the very least, in my opinion, like they could have got through, uh Oh, safety. We get the ball back. Or, you know, we could at least stuff them there, and then we get the ball back most likely on their, like, side of the field, and we have sub-50 yards to drive for a touchdown. Right. It's the least risky thing to go for that field goal. Now, I remember there's something that was pulled up by some of the VT fans um, on another horrible play call that we're going to talk about that happened in the fourth quarter. But, like, I want to see what the percent, like, the win percentage would be there if you would go for the touchdown rather than going for the field goal, because there's, there's no reason. I mean, granted, I will say this. I mean, another thing that we haven't talked about, John Parker Romo has been great ever since those horrible misses against uh, West Virginia. I mean, he had a really, he had a really good game yesterday. Yeah, uh, like he, I mean, he looks good. He's yeah. consistently been able to kick out of the back of the end zone and his field goals were good. And the punting yep. was good. Special teams yep. kept them in that special game. Special teams rocks. We are, we are special teams. You. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was great, you, but do you want, I, I can't disagree. Do you want me to, do you want to bring up that um, other, you know, bad play call that you were talking about in the fourth quarter? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we, we can go to that other bad play call, which is um, 
I mean, the, there's the going for two on the false start in which, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just briefly mention that. Everyone will agree that's horrible, including Justin Fuente agreed that's yeah. horrible. I remember a quote saying. Yeah, I'll, oh, he, I'll he said it at a press conference today. Yeah, he said, oh, something about my pride. Yeah, no, that that caught my that caught my ear when he said, yeah, "Oh, my I, pride got in the yeah, way." Yeah, yeah. When I saw, <laughs> the, not a great look there, bud. I, I was like, "Dude, we don't care about your pride. We don't like. Sure, you're a head coach. All respect. I don't care about your pride. I don't think no. the fans care about your pride. I don't think Tim Sands cares about your pride. What we care about is doing your job and winning the football game. And that play was worse than." You know, when sometimes, it, like, it, it was it was one of the poor play calls I've seen from this program, to put it in that sense. I was going to almost compare it to, like, uh, 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 like Frank Reich in a sense, but I can't even stoop that low for Frank Reich. I, I, I like Frank <laughs> I, I can't stoop that low for Frank Reich. With, with Frank Reich, you know, he's, he's a pro. I, I can't stoop that low. So it's just a horrible decision. But the fourth, the, the play I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure we both have the same one in mind, is the fourth quarter with about three minutes left before they drove for their field goal was we decided to punt rather than go for it on a fourth and one. Yeah. And I want to see if I can find the stat. Um, I know who tweeted it. Uh, I just need to see if I can find it. But the stat was basically a win percentage based on what you do. Now. I will say for someone who watches football regularly um, on your end, what would you have done? Because I would have went for it. I absolutely would have too. And I, I think just the simple thing is, okay, you get the yard, you continue to drive, you continue to eat the clock. You can have a chance to win the game with the ball in your hands. And here's the situation. And I know Justin Fuente commented on this in the post-game presser, like basically right out of that. And by the way, in that post-game presser, man, did that guy sound defeated. Oh, my God. He was – that was such low energy from the head coach. Uh, but – and, I mean, I'm not asking him to come out, you know, guns blazing or anything. I mean, they just lost a tough football game. And I'm not going to criticize him for it. It, it, just, it just seemed like a man who was just you know, really put down. Um, sure. He made a comment that going for it and missing it hands them the football game. What does punting do exactly besides hand them the football game when they have been dicing your defense on the ground for the second half and they have been able to convert on passes and you're basically saying, okay, we're going to put this ball from inside our own 10. And unless we have a miracle punt that pins them at the one, they're going to need like 40 yards, which is exactly what they ended up needing. They're going to get like 40 yards. And, you know, we're we're just going to be like, okay, they won't get 40 yards. Going to guarantee that. Guess what happened? They got 40 yards to go both ways. But I, even if you even if you give them the ball in that perfect field position situation, do what the Browns did. Drag Austin Eckler into the end zone so you can have time yeah. to go down the field and tie the game up. That's like, one of the smartest plays I've seen in football. It was incredibly smart. It was really stupid on Austin Eckler's part, and the Chargers were not just needing the ball even though they ended up winning. Still, you can have opportunities. Take put the game in your offense's hands. That's 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 what football is now. Your defense, yes, your defense was good the first four games of the season, and even they were decent in the first half. But Notre Dame was able to scheme around them, and they were able to run the ball down your throat, and they were able to find gaps in play action passes. They were able to throw it over the middle because 
your linebackers and safeties were getting split because your cornerbacks were, you know, put on islands and they weren't prepared for that those throws over the middle. It's just I, no, I, I don't I, I, I don't get why coaches keep doing this. I don't get how this lack of ability to manage a game. Yeah, and, and, it, befu- and, and it completely befuddles me. I don't think we've used I don't think we've used the word befuddles on this podcast, but I am befuddled. <laughs> I don't think we have either. Um, we'll, we'll talk about some of that for the fourth quarter as well. But as we're looking at this play, the thing to look up, if anyone's curious on exactly how to look at it, is called the college or CFB fourth down bot on Twitter. And this, this is what I saw that was shared on BD Twitter. And it says, correct choice, go for it, at a difference of 15.7% on the fourth and one. Now, what it shows is there is a little mini table. There's go for it and punt. If you went for it, your win percentage is 52%. If you punt, your win percentage is 36%. If you succeed on going for it, it goes to 72%. With a win percentage, if you fail of 23%, meaning that you failed, uh, it'll fail the fourth and one. Or if you succeed, you get the 63%. From what I'm able to read there. So basically, I think most football fans would agree. You agreed. I agreed. You go for it on the fourth and one statistics say you should go for it on fourth and one. So everything's saying that you need to go for it in that scenario, particularly as when I agree with you, our defense was not great in the fourth quarter. They, they played their hearts out in the other three. They weren't great in the fourth. Part of it we'll have to talk about. But when everything is saying to go for it and you punt, it's horrible. It hurts a lot. Yeah, and again, we get that the risk in that play is massive. Like, don't sure. get it, but, the, but don't play scared. And I'm a guy in, in the but, but, as you, but as you said, as you said, guess what? If they're torturing our defense, why does it matter? I know. In the analytics era, which is where football is now, it's not just about playing scared. It's about being in the mindset of process over results. I think that there are people, I think, that are in the mindset that we would crucify Justin Fuente and staff for deciding to go for it or deciding not to go for two uh, when they could have gone up nine, when they were up seven. If if those results don't happen, we would be mad. It's the same situation of like, oh, it's a bad play call if it doesn't work. No, that's, that's not where we're coming from. If the effort was made, if you went out there and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to put the game away right now. We're going to make it 30 to 21. Even if you miss it, I understand. I get it. And I would have done it too. And, you know, statistics are on your side. It just doesn't work out. That to me is smart coaching. Uh, going for it on fourth and one, not getting it, losing the game that way. Yes, it would have been heartbreaking, but at least I understand it. There are other decisions we can point to that are bad. That would have been a good one. Look at the NFL. Look at look at just look at just earlier on Saturday, Ole Miss at Arkansas. Arkansas did not want to go into an overtime game uh, on the road. And they went for it. Oh yeah, no. They went a- for it with the clock expired. They could have lost, but if they made it, they win and they go out of there. They don't have to play overtime. I'm not mad at Arkansas for that. I don't think Arkansas no. fans should be mad at that. Dan Campbell. No. The Lions were 0 and four, and with like 30 seconds left, they score a touchdown. Oh, we could just kick a field goal, let Kirk Cousins knee it, and we could get a chance to get the ball in overtime. No, he went for two, and they got it, and the Lions could have won, and then they just screwed up with the defense. But those are the right decisions, process over results. Arkansas messed it up. The Lions did it right, but the Lions still lost. But 
I'm not I'm not mad if I'm an Arkansas fan. I am mad not going forward on fourth and one, not going for two to make a two possession game. Again, even if you miss, I agree. even if you miss process over results, that's where you have to be in the analytics era. You, basically, in, in which I, I agree, uh, another theme of this team is you play to win, you don't play to maintain. And that's what we do. We play to maintain the score. We went up 10 to nothing and then we did nothing. And then we went down 14 to 13 at the end of the first half. Uh, you know, the UNC game, we went up, uh, what was it, like 14 nothing, and then they scored 17 on us. That's how I thought this game was going to – that's how I thought this game was going to go out. That's why I thought Virginia Tech was going to win. I thought they would get up early. They did. I thought they would hold on. They didn't. And and think about it, too. You got a pick six by a third-string QB. You got a gift. A gift. That wasn't – that that gave you the lead. You were down when that happened, and they had the ball backed up in their own end zone, and they threw it on third down, and you got a pick six. And you still well, don't forget as well. The they give you don't a gift. As well. two, two drives later, we got another pick, and then that resulted in a touchdown on 56-yard drive. How? How, man? Ugh. Our, which is why I said our defense was so good. But they, they created turnovers when they needed to, but Notre Dame was able to scheme th- their receivers open. They were able to scheme their running game. Uh, I don't know how big of a loss Dax Hollifield really was uh, to the defense because, honestly, he didn't – like, there were spots where he looked okay. There were other spots where he looked really, really bad. And I know that, like, he's kind of the heart of that defense. He's the middle linebacker. Like, you're, miss- you're going to miss yeah, him. Yeah, no, that's, that's where I was going to disagree. But, but – I don't know. It's just – I mean, that, 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 that's, 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 that's where, where I'm at. That, that, that's, that's where I am with the game. That's where I am from Saturday night. That, that's what I was going to bring up, and that's what I'm going to actually continue to mention here. Now, we know your opinion on the Dax Hallfield thing. My question was going to be, now I'm just going to talk about my end of it, was how big was the Dax Hallfield loss and should it have been targeted? Um, I know Fuente had a great quote on this. Um, I know you you read it. I, I think it was probably the best quote that he had at the press conference. That he doesn't have many of those. He doesn't He doesn't have too many. I, I do agree, but that, that was a very solid take from it. Um, it, it was something along the lines of like, I mean, basically, and I, I remember talking about this too, I mean, because Quentin and I had the same, same decision. It was a bang, bang play where Hallfield was already coming in and he went to try to make the tackle. It's not like he could, you know, slow down and go lower this or that. Like he, he had to make the tackle how he made it. And <clears throat> unfortunately it was called as a targeting, but it really shouldn't have been. Um, now he, he, he didn't take that stance, but that's like the stance that I'm taking and the stance that I think a lot of fans would take is that's not a targeting. Dax was already moving in the direction. Dax was standing at his, you know, at a, at a normal posture and he went and he went for the tackle. And after the tackle, he, it's like, he stood still. He didn't showboat. He didn't do anything. He went and sat and watched because he knew that it wasn't a great tackle, but what else is he supposed to do? Is, is he supposed to, like, just let him miss? Like, is he meant to miss and let the receiver go? No. He has to make the play. So and I, I want to bring up the Justin Puente quote that you are talking about just for people that aren't familiar. Uh, yeah. Justin Puente at his uh, press conference today, not the post-game one, the one where he, he had pretty good energy and he had a short sleeve sweatshirt with a really bad logo on it. Um, <laughs> I can't believe I'm roasting his wardrobe decision. Uh, 
he he brought up that well first of all targeting college football is at a really bad point right now and it's a yep. week by week discussion and i like what justin puente said it's what a lot of people are bringing up it's something that i think needs to be introduced into the game and it's levels it's levels of targeting and i like that justin puente said that they don't like want it. to move backwards in player safety but at the same time ejecting kids for you know making plays that you know they can't help there was no intent to dax Hollis yes. it wasn't Kadarius tony throwing a punch yesterday it was just him making a tackle and it happens all the time of and it know, wasn't like the other it, helmets. it wasn't like the other one that happened too that was targeting right that's that's exactly right uh yeah. so yes can we enforce 15 yard penalties sure should we eject yes. players for you know not having the intense part of it i think yeah. that that's I think that's, that should be part of it, too. I do agree with him that uh, there should be, like, a flagrant-type system, like in college. Yeah. No, I, I think I, – I appreciate that take from Fuente as well. I think that's something that they should consider. But this is something where I remember talking about this in, in – I like that you brought up the, the fact that this is, a, like, a discussion now in college football. I remember when I talked at brunch before my parents left to go back to uh, the Northern Virginia area. Um, when we were talking about the game, and talking about things that happened, including the Dax Hallfield thing. My dad brought up, you know, basically the exact same point of three of like of just a few years ago, that tackle would be commended as an amazing play and would have been talked about as like, you know, oh, what a great tackle. Everyone would be hype. And it would be, you know, very much like a momentum changer. And it was a momentum changer, but it wasn't because it was called a good play or a good tackle. It was because it's now viewed as targeting in which, for targeting overall, I can agree. There's targeting plays that we've seen this year for Virginia Tech, the one that should have been called on MTSU, the one that was called on Notre Dame. I don't think that one's it. And when it comes to affecting the defense, to me personally, you said that it you like you didn't think it was that big of a deal. I think it is for some of the points you brought up. Dax Hallfield is the leader of the defense. I think he's probably one of the most outspoken members of our defense and even our locker room as a whole. He's a leader back there. He's someone that we trust. And to have him sent off with that little time left in such a decisive game is a momentum swing, in my opinion. I think it is something that will bump, uh, bump up Notre Dame a bit because it's like, all right, we don't have to deal with him. And it's something that will take away from Virginia Tech because it's like, that's our guy. And he's now gone. And that hurt. And if you watch the rest of that drive, if I remember right, when Dax did that, I think it led to a third down. I don't think on that drive that Notre Dame had another third down. I'm going to see if I can pull it up. I don't know if it'll show, like, the ejection. But, like, I think for the rest of that drive, there wasn't anything else negative for Notre Dame. Yeah, so. I, I, I don't know either. Um, man, it's just uh, – yeah, no, they did not have uh, any other negative plays that drive. They had a big 23-yard uh, gain, uh, another 11-yard gain, and then they were within the 10. So, Yeah. I, I actually, ironically, Jack Cohn was back in during that time too. Yes. So, yeah, no, I see it. Yeah. I mean, a after, after that, they got the other first down, and it went from the first down to the 45 with the 15-yard penalty. Um, so you had a first down, first down, second down, first down, first down, second down. Uh which the second down was a touchdown to uh, Kevin Austin, who had a great night for Notre Dame. And then he also got the two-point conversion. Uh, as, as I said, Kevin Austin had a great night for the Fighting Irish. Um, 
But yeah, to me, I think that was a big loss and it definitely hurts. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I want to talk about, because you, you've mentioned some of the other things that I was, uh, I was going to talk about, which we've talked about how negative they are. The, the two and 13 record against a less than three point spread is embarrassing. That means that your Fuente's not been good at all in games that are projected to be close. That's an embarrassing stat line. That's something that as a football fan base, you should not be taking lightly. On top of that, the 0-6 off the bye is really bad too, particularly when we are talking about before that, that this team is meant to be good coming to the first game, prepping for the first team, et cetera, et cetera. You have a week to prep for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's, this is the low of their season. They were having to, uh, they, they threw out Buckner because they didn't want to trust Cone. And, you know, like they just came off their loss to Cincinnati. They've been struggling throughout most of the year. This is the point where Notre Dame probably should have been at their lowest. And we don't win that. That is something that I think is embarrassing. On top of that, the home record that you mentioned, um, 16 and 17 at home. Not only is that embarrassing, but it's one of the worst in the ACC against Power 5 schools. Now, the best team, I think, is unsurprising is Clemson uh, at 30 and 1. And then everyone else under Clemson doesn't have a great record since I think this was 2014 on there. Yes, yeah, 2014. Uh, with the second best being 22 and 13 from Florida State, but still, if you're if Lane Stadium's meant to be this big advantage, the fact that you're not 500 is embarrassing, I think, as well. Um, though that is 2014, so I think that also includes Beamer Ball, like a year Beamer it Ball, does. if I have that right. A year or two. So yeah. I don't I don't know what it's been since Fuente, like overall. It has been. I, I I'm pretty sure it's not 500 either. Yeah, I would, I, no, like, like, I would assume it's lower. Not to be negative, I would assume it's lower, but I just don't know. That's just based off 2014. Like, right. We all have the one pull up for 2015, I guess. If you want to pull the numbers for yourself, um, just go to the 2014 season and see how many Power 5 teams we, we beat. And I would assume that it's just rather than 16 and 17, well, we'd probably be like, you know, I'd, I'd probably say like 11 and 14, 11 and 14 or 11 and 15 or something. I don't Something know. like that. The last few Beamer years were bad, but yeah. Um, I mean, guys, we—I I don't know what else we really can say. I mean, he's bringing up, you know, the bad decisions. We're talking about the themes of the game. We're talking about yeah things that have happened that are just continuing to happen that we've already talked about. Again, this is a day where I would much rather not be talking a lot. I would much rather be wanting to hear from people who are who have the who have the passion because you know I. I can bring up all these things that I find negative about the game, but I, I, I can't do it with too much conviction. And look, I'm not ready to come out and straight up say that the season is dead. I mean, this team's not looked good in their three biggest games. Uh, you know, the, the defense played really well against UNC, but the offense was still bad. Um, I don't want to be the guy that says, oh, this loss doesn't matter because it doesn't affect the ACC path. But it's still, it's technically correct. Even though I don't want to say this loss doesn't matter, the path is still there. You know, we'll, we'll talk more about, you know, the ACC and what it means for this season after the pit game. Because, yeah. yes, I know that a lot of people are expecting that to be a loss. 
But if they come out and surprise, because I mean, at that point, that's the biggest game of the season. This Notre Dame game, it's a nice benchmark. It, it is. It is the biggest game of the season. But it's the biggest game of the season. So you're welcome. Us, you're welcome them in the town. If you come out with if you come out with a loss, you have a two game deficit in the coastal, and you're not making that up. We know that, uh, and you're no longer controlling your own destiny. Yeah. So that's really all I can say right now. And again, I don't want to be a guy that's like, oh, this doesn't matter. You know, I'm gonna sell hope and whatever. I, I can't do it. And um, you know, they've got seven games left on their schedule. I think most of them are toss ups. And I think you're looking at a seven, eight win program with not too much to show for it because the rest of their conference is not good. But I still think you're looking at yeah. three losses in conference. It's that's, that's probably it. Yeah. it. It's a it's a bad spot to be in mentally following a game that was it was well within your grasp in the last few minutes of regulation. It's is a bad one, and I think we'll be able to talk more about the team. For specifically after Pitt. Lose to Pitt. Lose, lose to Pitt the season's over, and then we can have a real conversation. Sure. We're, not, we're not gonna do that um, now because we don't wanna, you know, show our ass and be like, oh, we were saying all this stuff on Monday, and then next and then a week from now, oh, they beat but, Pitt. Well, we look stupid. <laughs> you know? There's there's one more thing that I do there's one more thing that I do want to bring up. Right. And it's negative, but I think it's something that is worth talking about. It's Something that I want to get a lot more into once this season is over. You know what this is. Um, I want to specifically bring up not both, but I'll bring up one. The fact that we had our quarterbacks that transferred out this past season. And it's weird to bring up because it still kind of burns and hurts a bit, uh, particularly since, you know, Lindsey Patterson was a five-star prospect in Hendon Hooker. Uh, you know, he was the miracle quarterback of freshman year. He took over and helped us beat UNC, and then he took over the rest of the way and was pretty solid. Um, what I want to talk about is this. What I want to talk about is this isn't about replacing Braxton. That, that's not what this is about because Braxton has been tough. Braxton has been good. Like, I, I think – I think it would be reasonable to say that Braxton has been a little bit better than maybe you anticipated, maybe a little bit worse than I anticipated. It's kind of that little middle and some of it, a lot of it's been because of that injury or whatever injury he's fighting off. I think that is reasonable to mention. However, Braxton has started now five games for Virginia Tech. And in Hooker, after having to go through your favorite, Joe Milton, um, has only been able to basically play four and a half games. And I want to have a little bit of a stat comparison. And on top of that, I don't remember how many Hendon's started the prior year, but I do want to talk about Hendon's stats from last year. So, to get into that, first of all, Braxton Burmeister through this year has the following stats. He has a 58.8% completion percentage, averaging seven yards a pass with five touchdowns and two interceptions with 128 QBR rating. So decent QBR, but uh, I don't know how that is against Power Five teams. Average yards, not horrible, but not great. And then his touchdown interception ratio isn't great. It should probably be better, though. Granted, as well, if you look on the ground, he has a couple extra touchdowns with rushing, including the beautiful one that he had against Notre Dame this past weekend. So if you even make that seven and two, it looks a little bit more respectable, but still probably nothing really to 
go home and jump, uh, jump up and down. When you look at Hendon Hooker, ever since he took over for Tennessee, he has a 69.6% completion rate, averaging nine and a half yards uh, per, like, per attempt. So to go ahead and break that down piece by piece, his average yards is higher by 2.4, and his completion percentage is higher by just about 11%. Um, I don't really care about longs and whatnot, but he has 13 touchdowns and one interception, which means that he has not only one less interception, but he has eight more touchdowns than Braxton has this year. And if you even want to take it a little bit further and you want to look, here's what I want to do. I want to look at teams from the prior season, players from the prior season, uh, Tennessee starter. I don't know who this person is at all. His name is Jarrett Gr- Guarantano. I hope I said his name right. Jarek Guarantano last year had 1,112 yards, in which for people at home, that means that Hendon Hooker is uh, 60 yards away from passing uh, Guarantano's yards for all last year. 62% completion with a 6.7 yards um, average, and then six touchdowns and four interceptions. Nowhere close to as good as what Hendon Hooker did. And Hendon Hooker is behind him by 50 attempts and is 60 yards away from beating his stats. Now to look at the starter for last year for Virginia Tech, Hendon Hooker, he had 1,300 yards on, what is that? It's like 38 more attempts, I think. 150 attempts last year. He has 112 this year. So yeah, that's exactly 38. He had 1,339 yards, 65.3% completion. 8.9 average yards of pass, nine touchdowns, five interceptions. Granted, three of those were in, like, what, the Georgia Tech game, Wake Forest. It was one of those two gold teams. Basically, what I'm pointing out is this. We don't have faith in Knox King. We don't have faith in Connor Blumberg. We had Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson last year, both talented quarterbacks. And because we did not utilize them, they're now gone. Quincy Patterson has been doing well at uh, North Dakota State. Um, I don't think statistically he's better than Burmeister, but I don't know exactly how that goes for North Dakota State. But Hendon Hooker, through half less start, has uh, stats that are, I think, grossly better than Burmeister. And as I said, this is not anything against Burmeister. This is all about and this is, this is the negative, and this is the stuff that we've talked about. This is about the coaching staff. And when Hennon Hooker is nearing his, um, you know, his stats from last season when he was uh, starting for most of the year, and then even if you look back to two years ago when he took over and he had 1,500 yards, when he's already nearing that, and actually, if you even want to look at two years ago's stats, he has equal amount of touchdowns as he had his freshman, uh, his freshman campaign or maybe in sophomore. I'll, I'll remember if he's a junior or senior this year. It's, it's, I think it's eye-opening, personally. No, it definitely is. And uh, I want to take you back to September 11th. Uh, th- I believe this is after the Middle Tennessee game. Justin Fuente, quote, offensively, we've got to figure out what our guys do really well, end quote. So, I mean, per- personally, I don't know how I feel about bringing up, you know, players leaving the program, but again, that is another 
theme, uh, Virginia Tech has had a lot of transfers out of, you know, the program these last few years. Uh, the transfer portal is a new addition to college athletics, and it's really going to – to me, the transfer portal is as if, if not more, important than recruiting at this point. You can find yep. talent in the transfer portal. Tennessee found their starting – Tennessee found both of their starting quarterbacks this year, one worse than the other, but they found two guys that could reliably yep. start and win the games. And it just comes down to the fact that this offensive staff was not able to, you know, utilize their players in a way that can maximize their talent. And whether that's scheme fit or whatever, man, I, I, I'm a believer in adapting the scheme to the player and not trying to adapt the player to the scheme. Uh so yeah, I don't know how much I really want to comment on that, but I mean, you, you, brought, you brought up the stats and they speak for themselves. Uh, and that quote by Justin Fonte after the Middle Tennessee game was, it it matches up perfectly with what, uh, with what you're talking about, not being yep. able to figure out how to use their offensive players in a way that will help them carry the offense. Even if they think the scheme is the right way to do it, they, they just don't know how to incorporate their uh, guys into it and I mean you're talking about not having trust in Max Kadem this quarterback room under Justin Fuente year in year out even if there's talent there they can't get anything out of them and they can't unless you're playing Duke how many times going into a big game does Virginia Tech have the better quarterback that's a good question I honestly don't know if I went back and that's just the thought exercise really but because the answer, probably since Justin Fuente's been here, excluding Gerard Evans, the answer is not often. Going into big games, you really don't often have the best quarterback. I would say the one game that comes to mind would be Hendon Hooker uh, in that season number four where they go into UVA with the chance to win the Coastal. I would say that Hendon Hooker was a better quarterback. Actually, no, wait, they had uh, that uh, Perkins guy. They yeah, Bryce, Bryce Perkins. No, okay, then I can't even say that. So yeah, how often did you how often did you have the best quarterback going into a big game? I, 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 will not say that, I will say that I rate Hendon Hooker higher than other people did when he was here in the program. Not that he was special, but I thought he was a really good game manager. And I didn't I didn't think he I didn't think he would do this at Tennessee. I disagree. I you thought, you thought he was gonna be a top five quarterback in the nation quarterback rating wise? I'll say this not this insane, but I thought that he would do well. And I, thought that he I, would, would, I think I thought he would I, do I thought, somewhat I better. I didn't think make, that he would be. I, I thought good. that he make Virginia. I, I thought he'd make any Virginia Tech doubters or anyone or like people in the coaching staff kind of like bite their tongue. I did think he was going to do that to do what he's done up to now and make Tennessee like feel like a legitimate contender against Ole Miss. No, I do agree. I, I didn't think exactly that. Can we but, move on to questions, please? I, I, I'm done talking about this game. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I only thing I will say is a little bit of spoiler towards the end of the season. I, I did already mention this at the top of the quarterback thing. I do want to, with every single quarterback that transferred out, look at stats at the end of the season. So you, the listeners, know, just to have it on record again, I do want to do that. Better or worse, doesn't really matter. I want to look at it, and I think it's fair to have that open dialogue. Now. Why not? Before. Fun part to talk about. We get to talk about how much fun this college football weekend was outside of Virginia Tech. 
It was a great college football. You think that was fun? <laughs> oh, I get no, that. No, that, that's that, that's why I said outside of Virginia Tech. We, we, outside we of Virginia, you're right. We, yeah, we don't talk about that. It, it was a fun college football weekend. And let's get into it. So going into co- college football, going to my questions there, having a little bit of a bright spot here, a bit of a turnaround. I think Georgia is the clear team to beat now. Uh, there we, we go. We were talking about it last week. How about you? I mean, I've one of the few times I've been right on this podcast, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but like that's to my own. I did not think Alabama was going to lose during the regular season. I will say that. So I'm not going to say that. Oh yeah, I knew that Alabama was this phony team, and I still don't think Alabama's phony at all. Uh, yeah. But no, I think Georgia is just the more complete team. I think Georgia's defense is better than Alabama's, and I think that their defense would be able to slow down their offense. And I still think that their offense is explosive. I think. I think it's Georgia, whatever. They're one of the highest ranked teams in terms of explosive plays overall. So that means their defense is just suffocating you and their offense is able to make the big plays too. That's the combination you need. Now, JC Daniels is still hurt. Uh, it seems, I mean, Stetson Bennett was the one that played against Auburn on Saturday, uh, but they have a you know mixed running attack. Uh, Zach White is really good for them. I think once they get JT Daniels back, the sky's the limit for them. But overall, they're still such a good team. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely clear team to beat. They are a unanimous uh, number one team in the AP poll. And one coach decided to put Iowa over them. I don't know who that is. Um, but no, I, I don't buy that because Georgia's offense. Just is actually, no, that was not me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Georgia's offense is actually <laughs> capable of consistency. I, I am innocent. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I do agree completely. I, I know you've said it, you've said it a couple of times. I just think it's good to keep reiterating and it's something to reiterate that you have been on the train on for definitely longer than me so it's definitely a props to you uh i definitely agree that georgia is the team to beat this year now to look at the other side of the sec and look at the team that lost this weekend alabama first of all so many streaks were broken which is oh, crazy yeah. totally. jimbo fisher the first ever nick saban assistant to beat him he's now one in 24 all time against this assistance this is the first time in, I think, 100 games that an unrated team has beat Alabama. And yep. then I think there was one more streak. Maybe it's just the Jimbo Fisher losing four in a row. But I think there was one more that I'm forgetting. Do you remember what that streak was? Uh, probably just Alabama road losses. I mean, you have to go back to 2007, which is a year I don't count for Alabama because that was Nick Saban's rebuild year. But yeah, yeah basically from his rebuild year to now uh, – They've been unstoppable, and that's no that's no secret. It's hell. It's freaking Alabama. Like they've been college yeah, it's football, Alabama. but yeah, no, it, it it was crazy just to be checking in on the score updates and uh, seeing that they were able to pull it out at the end. But here's the question then for Alabama: Do they have a clear path to college football playoffs? Yes, they still do. It's win the rest of your games and win against Georgia in the SEC championship. They're not going to take out one loss Alabama with an sec championship they're not and look hey man remember when i brought up that stat uh a couple weeks ago about their games against Ole miss and arkansas where you know if alabama goes into these big matchups and they lose a home game or they lose a game overall that game has big implications on the national championship that's been the theme of their last few games and texas a&m isn't making the college football playoff so alabama still has a very clear path they have to go undefeated the rest of the way obviously and they have to be georgia if they if they lose to georgia and they have two losses that is a much more compelling argument on keeping them out. Uh, yeah. Do I know if they would do that? I think they would have to, as long as you have, you know, 
clear as deserving, long as like Cincinnati clear deserving co- uh, conference champions. Like, you know, you have a Georgia in the SEC, you have the Big Ten, you have Cincy. Yeah, I, 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 think, if, I, I think if you had Cincy, Oklahoma, let's say Iowa, and let's, and let's say Georgia. If, if, those, if those four teams were still all undefeated and Alabama had two losses, you cannot argue Alabama. The crazy thing is this. I don't know why, but I'm seeing projections. I don't know this isn't your question, but I'm starting to see projections of two Big Ten teams making it in. I don't know if I can buy into that just no, yet. No, no. Committee doesn't rate them that highly. No, yeah. Very interested but, to see. Um, let, me, let me look that up while you ask me your next question. I want to see what, when the yeah. first rankings is. But uh, I, I, uh, just kind of in my opinion here as well, I do agree. I think they have a clear uh, path, and it is now to you have to win the SEC championship. But I do think things are going to get be hard for Alabama to do it, though, because if you're losing a and Mississippi State, they've looked pretty decent this year. Tennessee, they have looked pretty good this year. Um, let's not worry about LSU or New Mexico State, but then Arkansas putting up a barn burner against Ole Miss, and we'll talk about that game. And then Auburn, not amazing against Georgia, but, I mean, they're able to score at least more than Arkansas. So I feel like Alabama, with with how they have been, like, with the Ole Miss game uh, conceding 21 and the Florida game being as close as it is, I don't think it's going to be as easy as people originally expected. However, they do still have a clear path. It's just going to be interesting to see if they do falter again. I don't think they do, but I think that there is a chance. Um, now, moving on to that, uh, <clears throat> honestly, I'll, I'll even say in the SEC here so we can talk about it. Um, the Ole Miss-Arkansas game, is that going to be game of the year? Man. You know I what? Just I, 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 can't, I can't say – Honestly, right now, regular season-wise, probably. Because um, if you had to lean one way or the other, I mean, Penn State-Iowa has the bigger implications. But that game, I mean, that's that's just pure SEC right there. You know, and I love that the SEC has become essentially what the Big 12 was. But at least in the SEC, we still we still have this thought that they play defense. Uh, but Arkansas and Ole Miss just had none of that. They were just putting up points like crazy. Yeah. Um, and we know overall that the SEC – that's what I love about the SEC. The SEC has made this transition from being a better version of the Big Ten where it's this, you know, defensive, you know, run the ball, smash mouth football conference into becoming the Big 12 where they just put up all these absurd point numbers uh, every time. And they're, so they've, they've made the full transition from being better than the Big Ten at what they do to being better than the Big 12 at what they do. So I'm very happy that the SEC has finally come to this side of college football being entertaining. Uh, yeah, why not? I'll throw it out there. You, you score over 100 points. Uh, you have... Dramatics down to the last second. It's two teams that needed that win coming off of, you know, tough losses to potentially the top two teams in America. Uh, and they both fought hard. And look, I'm not going to be mad at Arkansas' decision. They wanted to go out of there with a road win and steal a game without going to OT and doing, you know, the OT madness. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll throw it up there for game of the year. Why not? Yeah, we already talked about that we both like the decision to go for two. And on top of that, as you said, it was a great 100-yard game. But then I even caught a, a decent bit of it, and it was just so much fun to watch back and forth. There's so many beautiful plays, so many beautiful catches. It was just a phenomenal game to watch um, top to bottom. So to me, I think that's kind of game of the year. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of hoping that Ole Miss can take that spot and win the NY6 Bulls now. 
because they yeah, they definitely they definitely have the leg up uh because <clears throat> yeah. if you're yeah. looking at large bids you know it's going to be tough yeah. i think for arkansas to get back up to that list you know with the two yeah. losses um especially with another loss coming to alabama soon you know maybe but uh yeah probably yeah so Ole miss definitely has the inside track to the new year six bowl of those two teams now yeah, I mean, Ole Miss still has a little bit of rough a schedule. They still have Tennessee uh, this coming week, uh, Auburn, Liberty, AM, Mississippi State. So the Malik Willis game that has upset written all over it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, some fairly like not like easy matchups, but I think that if they win most of those, and then like let's say maybe they lose one game and Arkansas loses the game to Bama. I still think you put Ole Miss over, and I think that Ole Miss's schedule overall is very strong. So, yeah, yeah uh, I agree. <clears throat> um, sticking in the SEC now, and actually going back across from the West to the East, um, I'm looking at the Kentucky Wildcats. Are, is, is Kentucky a legit team, so one of the undefeated teams in college football? And uh, will they give – Georgia a challenge when they play them I think is it this coming week it is this week and game day is going back to Athens for like the second time already this year yep man I'm gonna go all right I I don't know I don't think this game is gonna be close I think Georgia is just on a business trip uh but I mean their quarterback Levis has had a really outstanding season um in terms of QBR and again Mark Stoops has really built something respectable out of Kentucky and that's it's tough to do because Kentucky, you know, basketball school, they don't care about football there, but he's trying to make them care. So look, I, I, they're as legit as they can be. And they're facing this daunting opponent in front of them. I think, I think they'll do something this game. Uh, I, I think they probably still lose by more than two touchdowns, but look, the rest of their schedule isn't too difficult. You know, I can see them tripping up over Tennessee, uh, but look, that's a nine, 10 win regular season team. And that's got it. That you have to respect that at the most. They're not, they're not a college. No, they beat Georgia. That's a different story, but they're, they're not some college football playoff contender. You know, they're one of, they're in that same boat, I think, as Michigan and Michigan state right now, they're having, re- they're having really special seasons that maybe we didn't expect them to have, but Michigan and Michigan state will eventually play each other. And then they're going to run into Penn state and Ohio state. And both of them will have two or three losses and, at the end of the season, yeah, they'll have good seasons, but they won't be where they were in our eyes after week six. No, I agree. Um, I think when you're looking at it, uh, Georgia's just been a monster team. And can they point have more points than Auburn did against Georgia? Maybe. Because, I mean, Auburn only put up 10. But if you just look at the last two games against uh, top 25 ranked SEC teams, when they're at home against Arkansas, they shut them out 37-0. And then when they're away to Auburn, they beat them 34-10. to So they were still able to put up 30 points, and I'm pretty sure this is both games were on their backup QB. Uh, so whether J.C. Daniels is back or not against Kentucky, I just don't think it's that big of an issue. They're going to be at home. <clears throat> they're the best team in uh, NCAA, and I just don't know if they put up a better fight than like Auburn did just because – this has got to be the by far best defense they've come up against. Maybe Florida, like Florida is probably the second best defense or the best defense they've come up against uh, otherwise. But still, I, I got to give this like, I still think that this is going to be a competition. I do agree with you. I don't, I don't think they'll really do any better than Auburn or Arkansas or anything. No. And just quickly, how about LSU? Coach O is going to be gone. No chance. 
no, no chance he stays after this season. This season's a train wreck. Uh, probably. I guess you'll have to see, but I, I can see it. It's a bad season. Um, <clears throat> trying to see if I have another SEC question. Uh, I actually don't. So to transition into, well, technically speaking, this is an SEC question. Um, can we just talk about that dreadful choke by Texas against Oklahoma in the Red River Showdown? I mean, I should have had that. I should, or actually, not I. We we should have had that. We should have had that. Hey, man, we want Caleb. Am I right? I mean, yeah, Caleb yeah. put together. Spencer rather had an eleven QBR. That's brutal. Um, yeah. Hey, man, that's a classic Big Twelve game. Uh. High scoring. I mean, you, you can't give up twenty-seven to twenty-five to seven in the fourth quarter. Obviously, uh, look, I, I wasn't able to catch much of this game on at the wrong time uh, from when I was, you know, just hanging out. But look, I, they got up early and can't shut them out. So, I mean, I mean, you can't allow Kennedy Brooks to go twenty-five for two seventeen. But John Robinson needed to have, I think, a bigger game. Well, Kennedy Brooks is good. I, I don't no, know. I know, I know he's good, but I'm just saying, like, if you want to win football yeah. games, you, you got to stop the opposing players every once in a while. Uh, I agree. I, I mean, hey, look, if anything, I think it's a good sign for Texas with Stark moving forward. Um, and, I mean, spend, Oklahoma has to move forward with Caleb Williams now. I'm going to turn that into a Caleb Williams discussion because – now I think they can catch no, I as a resurgence uh, in the discussion for the college football playoff. Like Oklahoma can look legit now, I think, with this kid at QB. I completely agree. And that was actually the second part of my question. It was, but it was less Caleb Williams and it was more the fact that Spencer Rattler has to be transferring now, right? Like this, this is it. He's done with OU. Like, he oh yeah, he's coming to Virginia Tech. What? I didn't say that. I was going to joke about that and then I didn't want to say it. And now you said it and that was awkward. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't want it, but Virginia said, uh, Justin Wentz has that Oklahoma quarterback connection. It's gonna no, happen. I, that's why I said that I don't want it, but I can genuinely see it happening. What do you think the fan base reaction would be to that? Groan. <laughs> genuinely, I think it'd be a groan. I don't want to see it though. And, <laughs> and it's not because I think Spencer Rattler's bad. It's just more the fact of like. His stats are very much kind of putting up almost like Braxton Burmeister-esque vibes. I got nothing. <laughs> I'm not going Outs- there. Outs- outside of completion percentage. Yeah, his completion percentage is through the roof. But, I mean, even still, he didn't have a good game against Texas. And Look. Yeah. Hang on. Do- quickly. Do you think he's going to transfer? He has to go to the NFL, right? Or do you think he really wants to go somewhere else to try to up his draft stock? No, he's got to transfer. Because to me, what's his draft wow. stock now that he's getting replaced by Caleb Williams? Everyone, everyone's saying he's out of the first round. You know what I mean? I've seen so many scouts. Like Spencer Rattler, like, 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 you think Jalen Hurts' draft stock falls because he goes and transfers and then doesn't have a year and then people didn't rate him as much? What do you think? No, you're right. He went to Oklahoma draft. and he, like, Jalen Hurts at Alabama was not a draftable quarterback. Like, he was a fifth or sixth round guy. Jaylen, yeah, yeah, yeah. He went to Oklahoma and he got a second rounder. Now, I don't know how Lincoln Riley is turning a five-star QB outside of the first round. Like, that's not his MO, so it's really weird. But, no, yeah. I, no, no, that's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, if, if Jalen Hurts' value overall isn't a first-rounder, though he won the Heisman and everything, what's going to happen to Spencer Rattler? That's basically my point. So, Rattler has to transfer, or he's going to get drafted as a sixth-rounder and never do anything in the NFL. 
So he has to transfer. It's just a factor of where. You're right. Yeah. Um, but then even looking at the rest of the game, though, I mean, since we've talked about it, uh, Kennedy Brooks, uh, since we haven't talked, been able to talk about much of Oklahoma, I do want to talk about I like Kennedy Brooks. I've always liked him. I think he's a great runner. Um, I don't know if he's the best runner OU's had in a long time, but I think he's good. And I think that this game shows that he deserves more touches um, just because I think he is that guy um, for them. I think he can be that guy. 25, 217, two touchdowns, great game. Uh, but John Robinson, the one thing that I even talked about on the Friday episode was that I was nervous for Oklahoma shutting down Bajan. They didn't. He did well. Not that this was like a Heisman breakout game, as you were thinking it would be, but he did do well. 20 for 137 and a touchdown. This is a solid game. And then on top of that, we, I've talked about how good Josh Downs is. Uh, how about Xavier Worthy? Nine receptions, 261 yards and two touchdowns. Want to know how many yards Casey Thompson threw for? 388. So he makes up basically two-thirds of Casey Thompson's uh, yards. And Casey Thompson outperforming definitely Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. This is just a defensive throwaway by Texas. The offense was able to get the job done. The defense wasn't. That's the story. That's your classic Big 12 right there. Exactly. (laughs) It is your classic Big 12. I do agree. (laughs) That is from, from a Big 12 fan i yeah that's big 12 through and through um now following that that's really the only big 12 game that mattered this week so we're going to move on actually there is one more thing about ou but i think we'll both agree with this so it's a quick question this puts uh caleb williams in that performance puts oklahoma back in college football playoff hope right yeah it opens the door back up um yeah we'll just need to see how they do the rest of the schedule with this kid but i think they're definitely back in yeah, I, I like Caleb Williams a lot. He has a bright future. And, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's too much more to say about that. Take care of business uh, up until Okie State and then win that game too, and you should be clear. You know, the next question uh, – actually, I have a couple ACC, so I won't go ACC. But I do have a couple ACC questions asked after this one. My only Big Ten question of the week is, do you feel are – you, are you willing to kind of go with me now that Iowa is a college football playoff lock? No. Um, okay. because again, the Big Ten is going to beat itself up. Iowa gets to the college. Iowa now obviously gets to the championship game undefeated. No question about it. Um, I agree. It just comes down to is this 2015 again? Do they meet up with another team and does that become a playoff game where loser gets in or the loser does not get in and winner? Because I can't see them putting in. Oh man, that, that no, but that this becomes the question get us to championship game weekend and say your only undefeated teams right now are Georgia, Iowa, Cincinnati, Georgia and Cincinnati take care of business. Iowa is undefeated. Iowa loses to Ohio state who goes in with one loss. Is Iowa your fourth team? Oh, I got him. I got him. I I mean, I don't know. I, I think that's the thing. I think it's the, do you value the Ohio state, uh, Big Ten win, or do you value their loss more uh, to Oregon? I, I, I'm not. I guess I'm, not keep, I'm not keeping the Big Ten champ out. Um, unless, I, of course, I, the Big Ten, unless of course the Big Ten champ has two losses. Like if Ohio State trips up to PSU, MSU, they won't lose to Michigan, so I'm not even going to bother with that. Uh, yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, losing to freaking Nebraska. I mean, so Michigan State, <laughs> Nebraska, Nebraska is better. We got a three week going away, but. 
Um, I'm not no, if Ohio State goes in with one loss, beats Iowa, they're in. But do you have the second Big Ten team in there? I don't think you do. So I can't say they're a lock I, I can't say – I'm not ready to say that, oh, yeah, they 100% beat Ohio State. Now, Michigan State lucks into a win against OSU and, you know, makes their run in. Sure, I can see Iowa winning that game. I can see Iowa beating Michigan. Right now, my Big Ten power rank would have to be Ohio State, Iowa, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan. There's your five. And then – yeah, so if it's Ohio State, Iowa, I'll, I'll, I'll give you my top five for Big Ten, and then I was going to see how you felt. But we have we have a different top five. I would say my top five for the Big Ten right now. I would still have Iowa. I'm just really big on Iowa. Then I'd have Ohio State. Then I'd have Michigan State. Then I'd have Penn State. Then I have Michigan. I love you. <laughs> I just don't. I've never really been coming. <laughs> Anyways, um, I already told I already told my friends that if Michigan State and Michigan are undefeated. Uh, on October 30th, which they should be. I mean, Michigan State plays Indiana, has a bye. Michigan has a bye this week. Then they play Northwestern. Uh, they're both undefeated. I'm going up to East Lansing for the game, which should be college game day, by the way. But I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I, I, I definitely agree. But, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's how I feel, um, big time-wise. But I think we only have a couple other questions here before we get into our uh, traditional uh, college football question. So to look into the ACC now, um, after being able to be away from it for a while after that uh, Virginia Tech talk, um, can UVA hold on to getting these narrow wins? Because, you know, their past few games in a row, they won off the doink. And then uh, I think they move They went off another missed field goal. Yeah. Look, because I don't think they can hold on to this. Look, their offense is still still special. Um, Yeah, agreed. So in that sense, they're going to be able to hold on to that. Now, when you say, can they keep getting these wins? I would say yes, just because of their offense. And I think that their defense hopefully will pick up at some point. Um, I mean, BYU, Notre Dame back-to-back. I mean, BYU is better, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, I'm going to go with, yes, they can hold up. They can keep winning games. In terms of close ones, I mean, at that point, it's you're leaving it up to college kickers. So, sure. Um, I don't know. That's, that's kind of a trick question because it's like, can they keep can they keep expecting kickers yeah. to miss field goals? I would say no, but I will say that I think that they in games that they're supposed to win, I think they won't let them be as close anymore. I think that's where I'm going to go with that answer. Uh, in terms of if they if they keep letting games be close, then they probably will lose some here or there. I don't think that they'll you know keep rattling the software. I like I don't think in the Virginia Tech game if that game's a close one, I don't think they're going to win on a John Barker Romo miss. I don't think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think when I was when I when I originally put this question together, it was just because they had those two uh, lucky wins because of the doink and the miss. But if you look at the rest of Virginia's schedule, Duke they should smash them. They really should. Uh, Georgia Tech. It depends on what Georgia Tech shows up. If right. you get the good Georgia Tech, then Georgia Tech should win. Should. But if you get the mediocre Georgia Tech, then Virginia's probably going to win. Um, I think really their three hardest matchups of the remaining six is BYU. And even though BYU is on their third string, QB, the Bronco Mendenhall Bowl. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. They're going back to that stadium. So that's a, that, that should be a cool environment. I think it's BYU. I think Pitt because Pitt can compete with them offensively in Virginia tech. And you may have noticed that I left out Notre Dame is because I think UVA be served. No, Notre Dame's not good. <laughs> UVA's at home. They have a great offense. I think UVA wins that game. I'm way more confident with that than yeah. I even was with Virginia Tech beating Notre Dame. So, 
with that in mind, that's why I think BYU, Pitt, and VT are their three hardest left. That makes sense. Like, guaranteed. So, <clears throat> outside of that, Virginia's now been able to fight back into the ACC. And I think they are now, again, legitimate contenders for the Coastal with the schedule that they have left. Well, I mean, but they, they are in a deep hole right now. Like, they... They, oh, need, sure, they, sure. Need to, they need Pitt to stumble a lot. Well, they Pitt would need to beat Pitt. They, they need, need the beat. winner of this upcoming game between Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech to stumble a lot. They they would need Pitt to uh, – they need to beat Pitt, and then they need Pitt to stumble against someone else. And when you're looking at Pitt's schedule, if that's – you know, you're probably looking at UNC. That's, that's, it's a tall ask is what it is. You're, you're basically looking uh, – not even UNC. I'm not even going to mention them because they're dreadful. Really, the two teams that Pitt could probably trip up to is Clemson and Syracuse. That's it. Yeah, that Clemson oh, game is interesting. I was thinking about that because that's their game next year, next week. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's national offense versus national defense. It, I love those games where it's like, okay, we're going to see fireworks on one side of the ball, and it's kind of where I'm like, can we just see Pitt's offense go up against Clemson's defense for sixty minutes and just kind of see what happens? Uh, and yeah. if Pitt scores X number of points, they can win because I don't want to watch Clemson's offense, man. That's so dreadful. <laughs> I agree. I don't want to as well. Um, but then even going into the finals, the top team, the uh, Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Uh, I'm just trying to find where I talked about it there. Um, is there cause for concern for uh, Wake Forest after barely being able to escape Louisville and then barely being able to escape Syracuse? Absolutely. And I'm going to give you a stat. It's that their defense has given up over 500 yards of offense in back-to-back games for the first time this season. Uh, and they are getting gashed on the ground. Louisville had over 200 yards of rushing offense and then Syracuse upped it to over 300. So in that sense, yes, they are in a little bit of trouble now. Uh, they're starting, their defense is starting to look a little weaker. The fact is that their offense has been extremely productive. It doesn't, it doesn't come out at you as like the most explosive, like Kenny Pickett and Pitt. They're the best offense in the ACC. Wake Forest definitely has to be top three just because of their production. It's not about yeah. the fact that they're making the big plays or whatever. They're putting up the points and that's what wins football games. So it's not the flashiest, but it, they're, they're getting the job done. No questions asked. So yeah. at least their offense has been able to carry the slack in a sense, but yeah, that defense is becoming a question mark now. And I agree. It's why it's why Syracuse, even though I think that they're a bottom five team in the ACC overall, that rushing attack scares me against a team that's rushing defense is starting to look a little weaker in you know Virginia Tech. So Syracuse, and that's the thing too. Syracuse they play they play really well at the Carrier Dome. Like that's not a secret. Uh, so that team playing at home mixed with that running attack, it's a, it's dangerous for anyone in the ACC. Uh, but Wake Forest's defense can become a real question mark down the stretch here. Uh, I do agree uh, with that, definitely, particularly when you're looking at Boston College. And <clears throat> I, I want to leave them out, but UNC does, generally speaking, have a good offense. So when you're having UNC, and particularly really your uh, other Atlantic contenders, North Carolina State, Wolfpack, uh, I think that is what it definitely becomes cause for concern, particularly when the Wolfpack have been able to do well uh, defensively in other matchups. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do agree. I, I still think Wake Forest is the top team in the ACC. I still think that they should be coming out of the Atlantic as the they uh, are number one team. millimeters ahead of Pitt right now. That's where I am. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I agree uh, standing-wise overall. I think it's just a function of 
really the big game is North Carolina State, but it, then it's also, as I've talked about North Carolina State, they can have the highest of highs, and I feel like that their team can also have the lowest of lows. Uh, like, you know, like they can upset big teams like Clemson, but they can lose teams like FSU, so I guess we'll see. But still, I mean, hell, we, we've given so much crap to FSU, and now they have two wins in a row. So I have no idea how that happened. <laughs> I, I don't know either. It's crazy. But, yeah, beyond that, we are down to what I think is the final question. I, I, I did have one about overall the top 25, but I don't think there's really much reason to talk about that. I don't think there's many. I think Notre Dame should have probably gone down the rankings, and Texas probably shouldn't be ranked, but that's really it. Um, so let's go. I mean, out of these teams that I'm looking at having other votes, I'm not putting any of them over Texas. Uh, Pitt is probably going to be ranked here soon, but I don't know if the – I mean, that's the thing. I think Pitt probably should be ranked. Like, I think we can ignore that Western Michigan loss. Uh, but I, I think they just need a couple more weeks to be comfortable with ranking them. Um, sure. But, like, I'm not putting Auburn over Texas personally. And that's really the only two teams that are up for that 25th spot. I, I can see that. And with that, let's talk about teams that gained and lost confidence for us this past weekend. All right. Uh, well, definitely Iowa. I mean – I picked them to win, even though, you know, I think – and here's the thing. I think there's a there's a narrative that, oh, Penn State wins if Clifford is in. Man, I'm attributing that 100% to that Kinnick dark magic. Like, Sean Clifford is not hurt if that game's not in Iowa. That's just a fact. You can't, you can't convince me otherwise. Kinnick Stadium <laughs> is a death trap. So as soon as Sean Clifford walked in those gates, he should have known, oh, I'm getting injured today. Oh, my team's going to lose. <laughs> Like he should, like he should just resort, like resorted himself to that. Um, You're saying he should have went and hit in the corner. I don't know what he should have done. You, can, you, can't, you can't deny <laughs> destiny. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, if you went off and hit, you would have just had like you know some random like bottle hit him, and then uh oh, shoulder gone. You know what? That, that's exactly right. You know, points to you, sir. Um, <laughs> can I say I'm losing confidence in Alabama? I don't know yet. Uh, so so I've read something that said that Alabama just isn't quite Bama this year. That's kind of a lazy take in my opinion, but yeah, I mean, I I can see it like, yeah, they they lost a game. game. So yeah. Oh, they're not Bama. They've had two struggling games. Uh-oh. Yeah. Michigan state. I I, I mean, I didn't think, I I didn't think they were going to, you know, not be able to cover the spread against Rutgers, but oh my God, this offense, Mark D'Antonio. Does not know what he's seeing. He was watching you're, these games. You are just so. I, I, I'm going to say this again. I said it like three weeks ago, and I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but I'm just so mad that you have great luck. Back to back years, you have Heisman level running backs. It's it's insane. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, hang on. I, I I don't know if this is true, but is Kenneth Walker had ahead of where Khalil, Her- Khalil Herbert was at this point in the season? Here's the pro- the problem with here's the problem with Kenneth Walker. He couldn't be right. He couldn't be. Here's the problem with Kenneth Walker right now. Kenneth Walker is probably losing points in people's eyes because he's not a receiving back and he's not a guy that does returns. That's where other guys uh, in the scrimmage yard uh, game are beating him. He's like sixth in the country right now, as opposed to one because he's dominating rushing yards. But uh, yeah, he he doesn't catch the ball a lot and he doesn't do kickoff returns. So that's where he's lagging behind in the scrimmage Ooh. game, you know, guys like Sean Tucker, who's leading uh, in the country, he does kickoff returns. Blake Corum for Michigan. Blake Corum has been off the last couple of weeks, but he does kickoff returns, so he's got more yards. Um, other than that, Peyton Thorne has been a revelation, and they've got two 
outstanding receivers in Jane Reed and Jalen Naylor. They kind of have that DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett uh, exchange. Like they have that uh, dynamic where one guy can go off one week while the other guy doesn't really get anything. And then they just kind of flip-flop where, so both of them are top 20 in the country, but neither of them are over 500 yards of receiving so far, Uh, which is really confusing because it's like, oh my God, they have such great big play potential. Um, But no, Kenneth Walker has been awesome. I was not expecting him to do that. I really wasn't like, did I expect him to get 29 carries? Sure. I thought he was going to be in that ballpark. I wasn't expecting him to go over 200 yards. The dude is insane. Um, the beast. So yeah, Michigan state goes up for me. Uh, just continuing that offensive, you know, power fest. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, I'll throw some love Ole Miss's way. How about coastal Carolina? You know, <laughs> love my shots. Um, Arizona state, Arizona state is a team that, you know, going into the season, I think people had an idea where it's like they could win the big, they could win the Pac-12. They didn't expect Oregon to be this good. I think Arizona State still has a shot, honestly. And here, you yeah, know what? Let me, pull, let me pull up the Pac-12 standings real quick because, you know, the Pac-12 South kind of is in that weird zone uh, where they're just kind of thought of as a team that's going to lose to Oregon. But like right now, they're three and zero in conference. They're at the top of their division. Uh, Oregon, with that loss to Stanford, is not in position to win the North right now. Arizona State could be a team that could win their conference overall. And so, you know, Herm Edwards, Jane Daniels has finally emerged in his third season. Uh, Herm Edwards has a good, you know, grasp on how to win games, I think, with them. And they're doing they're doing a really solid job. They went on the road and just torched UCLA. They had a multiple touchdown win against Stanford. Big game here uh, this weekend against Utah. That's a Pac-12 after dark game right there. That is something that I'm definitely signed up for. So, you know what, I'll throw some, I'll throw some love behind the Sun Devils. All right. Well, uh, for me, Arizona State, definitely up there. I agree with you. Uh, how about Oklahoma? Uh, Caleb Williams, Oklahoma. We've already uh, talked to him up a lot, but to talk him up even more, he just looks great out there. Um, and to go into the Red River Showdown and replace Spencer Rattler and do that, he deserves props. Um, with on the negative there being Texas, and it's not really their offense. It's the opposite issue of Virginia Tech. It's not the offense, it is the defense. And sure, the Big 12 defenses tend to not be great, and they just have to have like a couple stud pieces here and there. But that's just abysmal and absolutely pathetic that you let someone who wasn't meant to be starting go, come in, and absolutely throttle you in the second half. It's just something that is not acceptable at all. <clears throat> uh, Ohio State should, is definitely on my love list now. Um, just because they've really been bouncing back and being able to put together these solid performances makes them feel like that they are legitimate contenders in the Big Ten again. It kind of feels like that they found out everything there. Uh, CJ Stroud doing great. Chris Olave, of course, doing great. <clears throat> uh, so that has them back in the conversation. Of course, your Sparties are up there for me. Uh, both Ole Miss and Arkansas are loves for me just because not only how good they've been all year, but this is just kind of a culmination of how good they've been all year is the game of the year for most likely. Um, that's like watching what I was able to watch. I'm not going to forget that for a while. That was so much fun to watch. And I hope both teams not only get bowl games, but are successful in their bowl games. Um, I think Georgia even being more of a love great going into Auburn, only having them uh, letting them score 10. BYU's on the low for me, and it's kind of unfortunate for them, but it's I think they're on their third-string quarterback right now because the other two got hurt. That's really why they're on the low end for me. Uh, otherwise, of course, I'm going to be even higher on Iowa. Uh, love Hawkeyes. Uh, I'm personally lower on Michigan, 
they were losing to Nebraska for a lot of that game and then had to come back to win. So, or not a lot of the game, but they like, they went down to Nebraska. And to me, ultimately, if you're going down to Nebraska and they're struggling, I don't care if they've been better since Illinois, if you're still going down to them and you're, this is meant to be a solid enough Michigan team, that's bad. Um, Kentucky raises for me as well, because I hadn't been too high on them until like this weekend. I, I was considering if you would have put Kentucky on there, whether I would have went Kentucky or LSU. Uh, Kentucky won and her kind of taking away all of my slight concerns about them. Shoot, beyond that, I mean, really, I think there's only one other team I can think of throwing on my love list here, and that's got to be Tennessee. Um, as we've talked about uh, multiple times on the podcast and how we talked about today, they have been great under Head and Hooker. Ever since hookers come into the team, they have been, you know, just pointing well, uh, dominating Missouri and Missouri, dominating South Carolina this past weekend. Um, and I think they will have a shootout with Ole Miss. I can see them uh, fighting with Bama. I can see them fighting with Kentucky. Uh, Georgia's, I don't know, that's going to be rough. But then otherwise, like, yeah, I think they have become a competitive team with this new offensive structure um, set around uh, – hooker in Evans and I think that they're a team to watch the rest of the way because I think that they're going to give these ranked SEC teams a scare uh beyond that I mean I think that's really it college football wise uh for my highs and lows so all right so kind of a depressing start to this episode but you know we got into a bigger uh discussion yeah. about the college football weekend as a whole I mean you gotta have fun at the end yeah, yeah, it, not that. that's what it's all about, kids. Um, yeah. If you pay attention to everything else, what you're actually looking at, it doesn't seem so bad. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. I don't know, guys. Let's just go. Let's just go to this weekend. Let's try to have some fun. Let's let, let's look up some week seven games that could be fun. Uh, oh, I love it. Yeah, let's go. Oh no. Oh no. This all this all looks terrible. <laughs> um, Texas Texas plays Oklahoma State. That's a good ranked matchup. Uh, Kentucky Georgia could be not bad. Tennessee Ole Miss looks good. Um, and then, you know what? Game of the week, Arizona State, Utah. That, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Oh, boy. This is this is disappointing. I don't know. I mean, this looks like a pretty decent week. I think – BYU Baylor can be fun. Baylor's favorite by six there. I don't know why that's – what's up with that? Per- personally, and maybe we add this on for other segments, but I think personally the game of the week for this coming week is going to be uh, Ole Miss-Tennessee. I think it's another shootout. I think it'll be fun to watch without a doubt. Like, like high scoring offenses are always good. Georgia, I, I want over I under like set at seventy nine and a half. Oh baby, hook it into my veins. Ooh. Like, like here's the thing, and this is what happened Friday. I, I, I reluctantly said that the Iowa Penn State game was going to be the game of the weekend because it was the game with the the most riding on the line. But I remember I was also saying that I was more excited for Ole Miss Arkansas. That's how I feel about this coming weekend. Oh yeah, Big Ten football is the ugliest thing ever, but it might it might have the more the more implications. Yeah. But big, don't don't watch Big Ten football with your children. I beg you. I've been doing I, I it for agree. twenty years of my life. Don't it's, do it. It's a bit of a slot fest. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, like 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 this weekend. Technically speaking, if you look at the rankings, I want to say Kentucky Georgia is the better matchup, but Georgia's just such an elite defense, and I I can't say that. So I'm gonna go with my gut here, and I think the game of this next weekend is Ole Miss Tennessee. Or, or if not, I'll give you a second. I'll give you an alternative. Uh, former Big Twelve team BYU versus Baylor. No, no, I no. That's, I, that, that, that's a that's a highlight game as well. Uh, interested to see why Baylor is favored in that game. Um, we have Thursday. What are our Thursday night look like? 
Oh, we've got a Tuesday night game. We got a Tuesday night game tomorrow night. App State against Raging Cajuns. Now that, oh, that's some fun. Man, I'm just, I just can't wait for Maction. I need my Maction back. I need my late Wednesday night Eastern Michigan slob fest. Oh, my God. Anyways, I think that's a good place to end today's episode of the 3304 Sports Podcast. It's all about college football. We'll see you guys tomorrow for the NFL. I'm Dan Steinbach. That was Colby and Bergstrom. It's going to be okay, guys. Virginia Tech football can't let us down anymore, can it? Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day and take care.